Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Substation, Energy Economics Explained. I'm Tom. And I'm Emma. And we've started a podcast. We like talking about energy because we, we work in the field and we wanted to talk about energy uh, without being like constrained by you know, jobs or roles in, in a wider sense, um, just so that we can kind of learn and have fun, get things wrong, talk to people who we wouldn't normally get to talk to. Yeah, I think we've done a couple of podcasts in, in previous lives and previous roles in the past, and it's always been super fun. But yeah, I'm delighted to be able to lock you in for chats every week <laughs> going forward. And yeah, as you say, kind of learn, share knowledge, figure things out, make mistakes, maybe have a laugh at the same time. Yeah. I mean, we're not always going to be right. I guess that's, um, that's also like some of the, some of the fun of doing this is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, because no one's paying me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it certainly won't be perfect because I am doing the editing and I'm definitely not a professional editor. Um, and we do have children and dogs and the odd squeaky chair. So hopefully people will be a bit forgiving while we learn, learn our craft. And if you have any comments or feedback, drop us an email at thesubstationpodcast.com. We will try and respond if it's interesting. <laughs> so, introductions. Uh, my name's Tom Edwards. I'm a modeler at a consultancy firm called Cornwall Insight. And my day job is uh, mostly building models of the energy market so that we can do fun qualitative assessments of things like wholesale market prices, balancing services, um, capacity market stuff, expansion planning, um, you know, some analysis around wind speeds and, and all that sort of cool stuff. Um, I've done lots of background or my background before this was mostly in governance and energy markets so things like uh, writing reports on wholesale prices and being involved in governance meetings for the wholesale energy market someone has to <laughs> and we can put that knowledge to good use in this podcast what about you emma well, my name's Emma Burns. So I am, I'm an energy market expert. So I'm an independent consultant now. I've just set up my own venture. I specialize in things like, well, wholesale markets primarily, anything to do with flexibility, anything to do with real-time markets, balancing, ancillary services. All that stuff is my bag. Um, I've been working for 11 years now in mostly GB, a little bit in Ireland. And I've recently moved back from, from London to Dublin, where I now reside. Well, you've, I think um, another interesting feather in your cap is that you've worked on most sides of like the energy industry. So you've been in the regulatory space, mm -hmm. in uh, like the code governance space mm -hmm. and with market participants. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I started life in the energy regulator over here in Ireland um, and then became a consultant. And I've been a consultant for the last five years where I've worn many different hats for many different clients, which has been super fun because I, I get to have a look at what everyone's up to. Um, and one of the most fun things that we used to do as well was we used to host the odd podcast. We used to do forums for industry and GB. And we got to just chat about the market for a few hours and tell people what's going on. So not too different to what we do in this podcast, hopefully. Um, 
generally we're going to try and base our episodes on themes like a tv series or um you know a series of books or something um so generally we'll try and do like an intro some news about what's going on just really briefly um and then we'll try and you know discuss that topic try and pin down what we've learned uh, or what we know or what we want to know about that thing um we hope to be able to like call in some more people and not just always be us talking and the intention would be to do this like roughly once a week so yeah i think that we'll try and do what like six episodes ish per theme yeah it makes sense yeah again i think the rules will evolve <laughs> it'll evolve we'll change things um and hopefully we'll get good feedback from people that can help us grow and and improve and let's get cracking so as you mentioned before we're going to start each episode by talking a little bit about what's going on in the energy market right now speaking of what's going on i think energy crisis is the word that we're using it seems to be the mm. seems to be the the right phrase um would you say that this is a crisis so that is the warning noise that we give when we realize that we haven't adequately explained something this time around. So here we're talking about the energy crisis, and by that we mean the period of extremely high wholesale energy prices, and therefore end user prices, that we've observed since around September 2021. And this is caused by a global supply crunch and geopolitical factors. I would say it probably remains to be seen how long this goes on for. I think my expectation is that it will continue. It won't be gone in the next week or so. Um, so yeah, I would expect the word crisis is an unfortunately appropriate word for what we're heading into. But it's probably worth saying, so what is it now? We're just the end of September. So, and this has been going on for well, how long, roughly? I would say that you saw unusual prices back in the summer for so if, we, if we're talking about gas mm. price which is um i'm not going to talk about petrol or diesel even though those are the things that are in, the, in the headlines right now because ultimately i don't really know very mm. much about petrol or diesel um well that all seems to be sort of separate right yeah, that's yeah. kind of brexit related stuff the much more related. interesting thing i think is yeah. gas natural gas so Back in the summer, you could see that well, gas prices are at kind of like 60, 70 pence a therm, and that's unusual for summer gas prices. Unusually high, yeah. Unusually high. Because storage was low. Yeah. There was maintenance going on on the Norwegian and UK continental shelves, and the flows of gas mm -hmm. from Russia were not what they would normally be. So it was unusual, but not unexpected. And then, then we hit September. Yeah and the prices really start going high. Essentially, I mean, the, the key thing there was um, like a big weather front that arrived over Europe and the wind stopped blowing. So all the gas turbines had to turn on um, just to make up for that gap. And then we started to realise, oh, actually, hold on. If the Russians aren't sending us as much gas as they can, um, we're going to have to start paying Asian LNG prices mm. to get the tankers over here um just to just to make up for that wind not being it was very unusual it was a 30 i think it was a 35 day run of low wind speeds and it was just watching it day after day going when's the wind coming back um 
and and that feeds through into the wholesale power. So we started to see some real scarcity rent moments. So scarcity rent is a term that we use quite often in energy economics, and it means where an asset is in scarce supply, for example, because of a lack of resources, and that asset can command a higher revenue or profit in excess of what the market would otherwise usually allow it to. We started to see some real scarcity rent moments with uh, generators putting in or getting accepted in like day ahead clearing prices of two and a half thousand pounds a megawatt hour and four thousand six hundred and eighty pounds per megawatt hour is the highest ever imbalance price paid for interestingly enough by the Irish system operator um, who sent an emergency uh, notice to National Grid and said look if you don't if you don't turn on a coal fired generator in Britain it's you know there's no lights on in Ireland. So effectively, National Grid were earning scarcity rent. Well, in that technically, a coal-fired unit in GB was earning a scarcity rent, but it wasn't a GB consumer paying for it. It was, yeah, Irish consumers uh, paid for that, um, which is fair enough. We're, we're an interconnected market. And um, I think there's, there's, there's also capacity problems in Ireland with um, Whitegate and Huntsdown not being open, or they should be open next month, I think. Um, so ultimately, the, the other thing to note, 200 pence a term, that's the price I saw on, on the gas price today. Um, and it looks like it's going to be roughly that high for the rest of the winter. In GB power prices, we're looking at £190 a megawatt hour for month ahead contracts. Can we put that in context? So you said 60-ish pence per term during the mm. summer, 200 pence per term. Like what would be sort of a average winter price? In pence per therm for gas. Um, I mean, yeah, average is a is a word, but I, you know, I'd be expecting to see thirty to, I guess, thirty to fifty. Okay. It, it can it can swing quite a lot over the winter, depending mm. on what's happened and what the temperatures are and stuff like that. But yeah, I think thirty thirty in the summer, fifty going on eighty in mm. the winter. And that's the gas prices, and then obviously because our marginal fuel, so the kind of last generator we need to take on is gas, that t- that sets the price for electricity. So there's that knock-on pass-through effect. Yes, there, exactly. It? And then in electricity, we'd normally be talking about 40 to 50 pounds a megawatt hour for the electricity. Mm. But now we're talking about 200 pounds a megawatt hour, um, mm. which is, yeah, enormous. And, and that's going to cascade through uh, at some point Mostly to businesses, probably first, because they're the ones who uh, whose bills aren't capped. So, mm-hmm. and they'd typically be on kind of pass through contracts, wouldn't they? The larger yeah. businesses, they'll be more exposed, whereas the smaller customers would be hedged or locked into a price on a longer term. Yeah, and, and retail customers are also protected by the price cap. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it does depend on the kind of sophistication. So you'd expect. Um, like extremely big and nationally important uh, businesses such as Network Rail to have locked in a price. The water companies will probably have locked in a price, but they do a lot of their own self-generation to water companies. Um, yeah. So it might depend on exactly when when the energy is being used. So I'd expect that those kind of 
those people can't take a risk, so they will have locked in a long time ago. But there might be some factories who are willing to say, okay, well, I can turn off. You know, I won't. I'll run le- less shifts over the winter mm. if the gas price is going to be high. Which, I mean, that's demand side response, right? That is sort of consumers behaving in some ways as we would want them to. They're seeing a price and they're saying, nope, that's too high. Therefore, I will turn yeah. off. So there's nothing wrong in and of itself. However, except politically. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the entire strategy behind GB gas and power prices is, you know, let the price go to whatever it is and let the people respond to it. But that means that you end up with businesses shuttering. Um, you end up with people consuming less over the winter. Politically, you're, you're saying that it's okay for a business to shutter. You're now not working for two or three weeks because the gas price is high. And yeah, you know, that's the rational, that's the rational outcome. But how do you explain to somebody, um, that, you know, it's because the gas price is too high because we don't want to pay to ship it in from Qatar. Um, well, they'll, it kind of sounds a bit like, um, you know, three-day weeks and, um, mm. you know, it the country's not working. It feels like an economic breakdown. Uh, and to some extent mm-hmm. it is because the, um, mm-hmm. you've got decisions have been made to say that w- we are resilient for volume. You know, the gas system has been designed around getting as much legacy gas as possible out of the what's remaining of the continental shelf and bringing everything else in we don't store it mm. we've just got enough capacity to always have it on hand so there's lots of lng import facilities there's lots of mid-range storage there's not very much long-range storage where you fill up in the summer mm. and ex- uh, export over the winter that's a decision it, it was made that hey we'll always be able to bring the gas in because we'll just pay mm. for it but when you actually face that it does feel a bit different. It's not quite, yeah, it's, it's one thing to say, well, we've got enough, we have enough LNG facilities. There's enough tankers in the world that the energy mm. will come, but we have to pay for it. Well, now we're having to pay for it. What it looks like is businesses wondering whether or not they'll make it through the winter. Because if I keep the, if I keep my CO2 production business open without a government subsidy, I can't afford to buy the gas to make the CO2. And it just turns out that because of the way the economy is planned, that one company is a huge linchpin. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the fact is that consumers can't respond that well as it is anyway. So there's certain customers, large customers that can. But in practice, you know, we don't have the technology underpinning, you know, most consumers. We don't have the metering and all these things, you know, we'll talk about. I suppose later in later episodes, but you know we're not in that world yet. And if we were, this could be a lot more manageable, where you could have you know load shifting and consumers with their EVs behaving with as batteries, that kind of thing. But yeah, we're not quite there yet, so it's a bit of a a clunky response. And I think another thing that this has really highlighted, I feel, is the the impact of demand response on the whole economy. So I, well, the impact of energy on the yeah. whole economy will stop, right? But if yeah. the plan is, if if the plan has always been that okay, don't worry, in the future we'll just have people who respond to demand to increasing prices or changes in the supply of electricity or gas because it's much more variable, and we'll have businesses close down or change, you know, their operating output. What's the knock-on effect? Because our transport systems are all these, you know, just-in-time delivery systems, but if the just-in-time production system is changing in variation to what the wind is doing, suddenly your whole mm-hmm. just-in-time supply logistics system doesn't make sense anymore. 
because mm. I can't schedule when my lorry needs to be here because it might depend on whether or not the wind is blowing. <laughs> and maybe in the future we'll be able to predict that with some level of accuracy, but it feels like mm. maybe actually this isn't a great idea and something has to change. Mm. Either we can't rely on demand-side mm. response to fix our problems, or the just-in-time just logistics supply chain has to change. I would argue it's mm. the supply chain that has to change. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. This, the just-in-time supply chain kind of assumes that you've got control over all the elements mm. within it, and then suddenly you, you come along and introduce weather and other factors like other countries, yeah, global politics. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. So I, I think that, that probably just about covers my feelings. <laughs> we've not yet spoken about the the retail side of that so obviously we've seen an unprecedented i believe number of suppliers uh, and customers be subject to a supplier a supplier going bust and the use of these sort of last resort so the supplier of last resort arrangement whereby Ofgem has to intervene and effectively i suppose find a replacement supplier for the customers whose supplier has gone out of business and, you know, under underlying that is a lot of jobs and, and livelihoods and, you know, what could have been very cool business models and innovators who were challenging the status quo. Um, you know, we, we could have seen how that market, that market could have evolved more. <laughs> but this is... They didn't hedge! <laughs> so by hedging, we mean the practice of managing risk, whereby... Forward contracts are secured, so locking in a price and a volume in advance, rather than being exposed to sort of the spot markets closer to real time. We'll explain this a bit more in our upcoming data and retail episode. Or, or they got caught unhedged for reasons that weren't necessarily in their control. But they, I mean, this is it, right? You, you, this is nobody predicted this. Really. I could have, you could have did, you could have looked back in um in the summer and seen that gas prices were only going up and if you didn't buy in then you could see what was going to happen it, it wasn't going to get better I, I I mean this is with 2020 hindsight I mean at the time we didn't think it was going to get this much worse I didn't think it was going to get this worse this quickly but you mm. could see that gas mm. prices were going up and I'm not going to mm. give myself, you know, full marks for thinking. Yeah, but I think there was a reasonable expectation that locking in prices in the summer would have been a good idea. Um, whether or not you were capable of doing that, and and if the volumes were there, is another question. But um, and to yeah. It's it is it's a difficult one. I would I would definitely say that the um, uh, well the innovation wasn't in buying and selling electricity. If there was innovation going on, I Fine. I think I mean there's there's a lot to talk about here. It all feels very fresh and very live. Um, so I think it's something we'll return to. I would say probably multiple times yeah. <laughs> um, as as the situation. It'll keep going on. This is going to last the whole winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah. That's my prediction. So I think that's enough on recent news for now. Let's tell the listeners what they might expect from the next few episodes. The first thing 
kind of series one is going to be about data and tech when and i think by data and tech we mean the increasing level of data that's available about the market about participants in the market about people who consume energy and by tech we mean the application of software mm -hmm. uh technologies such as better metering um better communication uh, yeah. architecture to use that data but there's the energy data task force is just so is it two point energy data task force 2.0 has been launched yep um there's the digitalization of um parts of the grid code going on so yeah there's lots of kind of stuff happening yeah it's an area where i think as an industry energy is probably a bit behind or there's a sense that energy is a little bit behind other industries so if you compare it you often compare energy to finance because that's another kind of highly regulated and very important industry and arguably there you know open data and banks and innovators have been probably a bit more progressive than in energy however i think probably something that we'll cover is barriers to energy data being better and i think there's very good reasons why it isn't as where it should be and there's very good initiatives that are ongoing that should get us there and that kind of reinforces that it's critical mm, mm. We, we want to talk about this because it's really important it's always been there. Mm. there's always been data flowing around um but now there's more of it than there ever has been and we're recognizing that some of these principles from things like finance about open data are important mm -hmm. and then that also means it's the future there's lots more to be mm -hmm. done um and ultimately, we thought if we had a really clickbaity title, more people <laughs> energy, data, blockchain, boys, all those words. I think if we just get those into one title, yeah. it'll be the best top podcast. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> toppodcast.com. And well, I mean, also, I think we know it, right? So we're both fairly oh, obsessed with data in energy. And yeah, we're both probably fairly pedantic and know arguably a bit too much <laughs> about how it all works yeah um i mean i sit on the bmrs change board yeah. which is one of the big open data platforms in the energy so far so do you want to explain that um balancing mechanism reporting service is the front page for energy data electricity data sorry um which the front page is it a tabloid or is it a broadsheet uh it's more like viz What's that? Uh, oh, that <laughs> joke doesn't work on Irish people. It? Um, uh, it's more like a comic. It's the Bean. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's the it's the it's where the data about what power stations are doing, mm -hmm. uh, what the imbalance prices are, and um, you know what demand is, that kind of stuff. Mostly national grid data. Mostly national mm. grid data. So, we're going to go through things like national grid data, transmission system operation. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to look at how do distribution systems um, operate with data and how could they. We're going to look at how the retail and the wholesale markets operate. And we're even going to try and do something on blockchain and AI yep. and explain what a blockchain is and try and grope in the dark as to how AI might, might interact with energy data. <laughs> I think it would be rude not to. I did I did build, I built a machine learning model. I built a Markov chain. No, was it, it wasn't. I have built Markov chain, that's not machine learning. Um, but I have built a machine learning model once. 
I'm looking forward to that episode because I don't know what machine learning really is or indeed blockchain. So that's going to be a, an education Blockchain's for me. way more fun to talk about. Just because you like um, slagging it off loads. Because it's, it's, like the, it's like talking about the Wild West. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, it's supposed to be this great thing, but it is still kind of um, really new technology so it doesn't quite live up to all its promises i think that's the best way to put it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas whereas ai is like or you know ai machine learning neural networks that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. actually kind of like cutting edge science yeah, and, yeah and i feel far less qualified to talk about it well i mean this is i guess yeah this is probably where we say what we know and what we don't know and hopefully we can get some experts in that do know what they're talking about and and learn from them so after we've done data and tech what would you like to do after that so yeah i think I mean, we're starting in we're starting in our safe space, aren't we? We're kind of starting with what we know, and I think there's probably a lot of other things that we know that we can share. But what I'm most interested in are exploring things that we don't know, or that well, that I personally don't know, um, and hopefully being able to learn ourselves, um, but also draw on draw on the input of experts, really. So, I mean. A, an angle that I'm really, really keen to explore is is vulnerability and energy, and you know the social dimension of the energy transi- transition. Because um, I think my background is very much focused on big machines and the wholesale market uh, and technical rules. I have basically ignored the human element of energy. Um, I know it's there, <laughs> but I don't quite know how it works and really what we should do about that going forward. I think that's an interesting conundrum because we have to do that and you know when you're modeling net zero you have to kind of factor in okay well how many people are going to be flying on holiday mm. how many people are going to be eating meat mm. it, how many yeah. personal travel you know how much personal travel are you going to do by car yeah. you have to think about that whereas what i'm more used to doing is like power station x <laughs> has a heat rate of 9.11 exactly. and a minimum uptime of four hours machines are so easy and so predictable and humans are so irrational and bonkers yeah and i think you know that angle when we start to think about the human angle is really when energy and electricity well it starts to become more than just energy and electricity right it starts to touch in on all the other vectors you know transport heat you know all the kind of the interactions that energy has with other parts of our lives start to really become more pronounced. Hmm. And, and not just like those, but there's other markets you, we could learn from, mm. not only in a economic sense. So, you know, what's finance doing? What's, um, what's another industry? <laughs> shipping? <laughs> I, live in a, I live in a port right now. So yeah, water and shipping there. <laughs> say, what I, say what you see. <laughs> and... Um, but also in a geographic sense, so what, mm. what have countries like um, Japan got to teach us? Mm. I think I'd be quite excited to learn about things or talk about things that I don't like. often get to talk about. So things like, I often talk about wind farms, mm. solar panels, but I'd quite like to talk about fusion, mm. geothermal power, mm-hmm. um, wave and tidal, mm-hmm. the cool stuff that might be possible but is often sitting at the edge and you just kind of go ah i'll just build a wind turbine instead it's easier mm-hmm. um another thing is that energy anthropology mm. like I, I i did i did a little bit of social science and anthropology at university and, and i think it would be fascinating to learn about the different types of energy people yeah and how they interact and um 
you know how does how does a financier meet a developer and how do they how do they interact with a code governance person and an and an engineer Mm. and we won't be able to get very far realistically without talking about market design only because we're both obsessed with it (laughs) so i think we're going to shoehorn it into every episode and try not to get too carried away but I absolutely agree. I mean, this is a podcast really to talk about energy economics, isn't it? And you can't really have economics without a market. And in energy, you can't have a market without a design. The short list that we have now of things we'd like to cover, I think I think it'll just evolve, right? I think we're going to get through these few episodes in this series. And maybe another series will present itself to us. Um, we'll see how it goes. And also just, I just want to see who wants to talk to us. <laughs> who's willing to have a chat and just if we can kind of pull from their brain and learn mm. that's what I'm most excited yeah. about should be fun I get to get to pontificate and think out loud and I get to listen and talk to you once a week <laughs> um so what episode what's up next so I think we're going to do the transmission yeah cool episode so we're going to look at what kind of information goes into the transmission system what information comes out how that um how things like the control room uh interact with the data um of the system and how we might even be able to change that sort of stuff with you know what could you do to make it smarter could you change things like gate closure periods and Mm. um Mm or metering accuracy or granularity, that kind of stuff. So we're starting big, right? We're starting with the big infrastructure, and then we'll talk about wholesale markets. We'll talk about retail markets, distribution, so the kind of smaller scale networks. We'll focus in on blockchain data. I think after that, we'll probably try and synthesize what we've learned. I want to build the data utopia. Yeah, that was that was a good idea. Is that we could what does what does a utopian vision of a digital mm-hmm. data rich energy market look like? And then I get to do what does the dystopia look like? <laughs> do you mean what we have right now? No, 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 the dystopia. How could you make life worse? Okay. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I could put a, I think it's a pretty nasty dystopia. That'll be good. That'll make us feel better about where we are at least now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, cool. All right, Tom. How do we finish these things again? Um, awkwardly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start or end as we mean to go on or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, I mean, hopefully it was interesting to hear us pontificate about the energy crisis. Um, and you'll be able to listen soon to us talk properly and slightly more seriously mm-hmm. yeah. uh, about energy data in the transmission system. Nice. So thank you very much for listening to the Substation podcast. Please get in touch with your feedback, views, anything at the substationpodcast at gmail.com.